Washington, the podcast of the Edwin O. Reischauer Center for East Asian Studies at Johns Hopkins SICE. Our website is reischauercenter.org. I'm Evan Sankey. Our guest today is Dr. Narushige Michishta, Vice President and Professor at the National Graduate Institute for Policy Studies in Tokyo. He is simultaneously a member of the Japan National Security Secretariat Advisory Board and a global fellow of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Previously, he served as senior research fellow at the Japan National Institute for Defense Studies and assistant counselor at the Japan Cabinet Secretariat for Security and Crisis Management. He earned his PhD from the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. A specialist in Japanese security and foreign policy, as well as security issues on the Korean Peninsula, his works include Lessons of the Cold War in the Pacific, U.S. Maritime Strategy, Crisis Prevention, and Japan's Role, and North Korea's Military Diplomatic Campaigns. Today, Dr. Michishita will discuss Japan's response to the rise of China. Dr. Michishita, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. What are Japan's primary concerns about the rise of China? And what are the most important of them, of Mm. Japan's concerns? Well, I would say two things. One is that uh, as a result of the uh, rise of China and uh, China's, you know, powerful China, uh, if China decides to use that power uh, to achieve cooperative, mutually beneficial goals, that'd be great, right? But uh, China uh, so far has been using that power not necessarily to achieve that goal, kind of positive goals. And rather, China has been kind of trying to expand its influence in, for example, uh, South China Sea, uh, East China Sea. For example, in terms of uh, Japanese interest, uh, China has uh, started to claim the, uh, its sovereignty over these islands in the uh, East China Sea, small five islands called uh, the Senkak Islands, which the uh, Chinese call a uh, Tiaoyu Islands. And uh, but uh, you know it really a, uh, kind of uh, um, undermines uh, the Japanese national interest of uh, the Japanese uh, territorial in- integrity. Uh, so we have con- the, that concern. And the second thing is uh, related, maybe related to the first one. Uh, if China, you know, um, acquires uh, a lot of, uh, you know, new military capabilities and, uh, you know, trying to uh, assert its power in this region. And I mean, there are some, uh, you know, you know, territorial uh, contentions uh, and uh, dispute. That kind of uh, uh, contentions might result in conflict, armed conflict, and it can happen in different, many different ways. But uh, one kind of concern, specific concern I have is uh, if China, uh, there is a, a political instability uh, inside China, um, which you know that there is a sign of that already, uh, which we are seeing in Hong Kong, not in the mainland China, but uh, in Hong Kong already. 
And uh, if there is a kind of instability uh, emerging in China, uh, the Chinese leaders might decide to divert uh, people's attention away from domestic political problems or eco socioeconomic uh, difficulties um, by inciting crisis uh, outside China, for example, in the South China Sea or uh, East China Sea, um, you know, over the, for does example. Japan, does Japan have concerns that are broader than just security? The United States, or at least our current president, has mm -hmm. focused a lot on economics yeah. and commerce. And the Japanese, the Japanese response seems, uh, as, as you portrayed it, 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 it seems mostly um, concerned with security issues. And I'm yeah. wondering how the, the economics or uh, regional diplomacy uh, f issues factor into Japan's perception of China? Well, again, as long as, you know, actually the rise of China uh, economically uh, has been benefiting Japan because uh, China is buying things from Japan, you know, uh, uh, China is uh, one of the most important uh, customers of uh, high-tech product technologies of Japan, right? So as long as China uses its power, both uh, either um, you know, uh, military or economic, uh, for uh, positive purposes, that'd be great. But the problem is we don't know whether China will do it. What are the main features of Japan's response to the rise of China? Well, there are two uh, dimensions or the approaches. One is to uh, kind of dis discourage China from using its uh, military strength uh, to for coercive purposes. Uh, and in order to do so, we are trying to, Japan is trying to maintain a uh, balanced power in this region, in the Indo-Pacific region. And the two, in order to, um, as I said, I mean, another purpose is to prevent uh, conflict because I mean, whether or not, whether it's, uh, f um, you know, from um, political crisis in China, whether, you know, uh, economic, socioeconomic difficulties in China, or even accidents, right, uh, can create, uh, uh, can result in armed conflict. And for example, uh, if you take a look at what happened over the uh, Senkak Islands in 2010 and 2012, there were two crises between China and Japan. And in the first instance in 2010, uh, it was cr crisis was created by uh, the kind of uh, decision made by the Chinese, uh, the captain of the uh, fishing boat, who decided to, for, you know, for some reason, uh, started uh, to decided to ram into Japanese Coast Guard vessels. It was a private citizen. He was not a government official or military officer. He was a private citizen who, who uh, made that decision. As in the second case, in 2012, uh, the crisis was kind of started by uh, Mr. Uh, Shintaro Ishihara. He's a kind of a nationalist uh, Japanese, uh, then uh, governor of uh, Tokyo who decided to purchase uh, the ownership of uh, 
uh, three out of five uh, Senkaku Islands, and that created the kind of um, concern that uh, uh, he might start uh, meddling with uh, the Senkaku Islands, and that might create an international crisis between China and Japan. As a result, the Japanese government, in order to prevent him uh, from buying these islands, uh, decided to uh, to purchase those islands. <laughs> and, but uh, from the Chinese perspective, uh, it was a uh, uh, Japanese Japan's attempt to change the status quo, and uh, that uh, you know resulted in a crisis. So I mean, in both cases, it was not the Japanese government or Chinese government who which started it the crisis, but the private citizen. I mean, in Ishara's case, he was certainly a public figure, but he was not the government official or prime minister. So uh, we are kind of concerned about uh, that kind of uh, situation emerging again. So Japan is devoting resources, uh, more resources to its military, to the the self-defense forces, um, in order to preserve deterrence in order to maybe fill in the gaps that uh, it, it perceives in, in the rules-based international order. That's one component of it, it seems. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? Japan has been buying, you know, we, we see on the news, Japan has been buying you know, very large ships uh, with hardened decks for, for, for F-35s to launch from. We see that they're, they're buying, um, Patriot missiles and uh, it, you know, advanced drones for the Navy. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could explain yeah, sure. a little bit about. Um, we are Japan is buying uh, 142 or something uh, F-35 fighter aircraft from the U.S. Off the, mostly off the shelf. Uh, we are, uh, have bought. Uh, we have spent. Japan has spent about uh, one. Uh, $18 billion uh, in acquiring missile defense uh, technologies capabilities uh, such as uh, SM-3 um, uh, sea-based uh, upper-tier missile defense system, mostly off the, off the shelf from the U.S. Uh, and uh, so we are buying a lot of uh, U.S. Uh, military equipment and uh, you have to tell, say this, I mean, Tell pres Mr. President, uh, President well, Trump listen, about yeah. this anyway. Um, so we are doing a lot to strengthen our, our own capabilities. But the problem is, in the past uh, uh, 10 years, uh, Chinese uh, defense expenditure has increased by 83%, whereas uh, Japanese defense expenditure has uh, increased on by like 2.5%. And in fact, the U.S. Uh, defense expenditure has declined uh, by 17% in the same period uh, in the past decade. So if you do the uh, math, uh, even if um, uh, the U.S. and Japan work together, stick together, work closely together, we will probably not uh, be able to keep competing with China, right? So what we are trying to do is to uh, maintaining, uh, maintain the, well, certainly we are trying to work, um, Japan is trying to work more closely with the U.S., but in addition to that, um, Japan is trying to uh, uh, invite a larger number of countries into this uh, uh, security partnership in order to maintain balance of power in this region. And our target countries include uh, Australia, Southeast Asian countries, 
and uh, India, and hopefully South Korea. <laughs> and uh, South Korea is uh, actually now is a uh, tenth uh, was a tenth largest spender on defense. Uh, so South Korea has come to have a tremendous uh, strategic weight. Uh, but uh, so it's quite unfortunate that uh, Korea-Japan relationship is not in a uh, good shape. But anyway, uh, we are trying to kind of create a region-wide uh, coalition or partnership in order to maintain balance of power. I want to come back to Japan's regional diplomacy in a minute, but can you explain what Japan has done to strengthen the U.S.-Japan alliance, what both sides have done? Because the U.S.-Japan alliance has undergone a pretty major shift since, since the year 2000. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you just explain what, what you see as the major changes. Yeah, well, um, specifically, well, I can talk about at, at least one or two specific uh, development. One is uh, in 2015, uh, the U.S. and Japan agreed to revise what we call uh, defense guidelines. Uh, these guidelines basically defines how uh, the uh, armed forces of the two countries share roles, missions, and capabilities, how to, you know, uh, work together. And uh, uh, based upon that uh, new guidelines, uh, the two armed forces have been uh, kind of uh, uh, a engaged in revising uh, uh, operation plans, and uh, uh, our armed forces have been working more uh, closely together in conducting uh, exercises, uh, designed to respond effectively to different type of uh, contingencies. And also, uh, in terms of technologies, uh, we have been developing uh, missile defense systems uh, jointly. Uh, uh, we have uh, engaged, uh, we, it's in the final uh, stage already, uh, we have been working on the missile defense system called the SM-3 Block 2A, which has a much better range, uh, speed, and accuracy uh, than the previous uh, type SM3 Block 1A or Block 1 1B, and uh, so Japan has been has provided uh, um, a technologies related to nose cone, uh, rocket motor, uh, uh, kinetic kill vehicle, and IR uh, infrared seeker. So we are, um, the two countries are working closely on you know, developing uh, defense capabilities. My understanding is that a lot of the changes in the U.S.-Japan alliance have been coupled with domestic legal changes in Japan, collective self-defense, mm -hmm. the national secrets law. What is, what is the domestic political context in Japan? And do you think that you know, the story that's often told about Japan in the United States is that there are all these constraints, political constraints, pacifism, the Article 9 of the Constitution. What is, what is your sense of, of, of that landscape? Do you think the constraints are falling or becoming less important in some way? Yeah. I think so. Um, some people say that Japan is moving away from uh, pacifism toward uh, Militarism, but uh, that's that's not true. Uh, what Japan is doing is uh, Japan is moving away from isolationism toward uh, uh, internationalism, 
people say, well, uh, Japan is a pacifist, but Japan is not really pacifist uh, in the sense that, I mean, the Japanese government has uh, supported uh, most of the wars that the United States have fought. Uh, the Japanese government uh, contributed about uh, $13 billion uh, to the effort uh, that the U.S. Uh, you know, U.S. war effort in the Persian Gulf War of 1991. You know, pacifists don't support wars or finance wars, we do. And, but uh, the thing is, uh, there is a new realization that uh, uh, the rise of China uh, nuclear North Co emergence of uh, nuclear North Korea uh, is uh, kind of uh, uh, changing the strategic environment uh, in a negative way, and uh, uh, over you know the U.S. is st still growing economically, and so it's a great news. But uh, um, relative uh, position of the U.S. in the world has been declining, unfortunately. And uh, there is a realization in Japan that uh, um, unless Japan uh, contribute more uh, to the effort, international effort, to maintain peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region, it might not be uh, easy for the you know countries such as the U.S. and Japan to main, you know to kind of yeah maintain peace. But uh, it is true uh, that, that there are kind of still a s fairly strong uh, isolationist sentiment. We, they call it their, you know, they people, isolationist elements of uh, uh, forces in Japan call themselves pacifists, but uh, they are actually isolationists. And, uh, you know, they have mer merit because as long as uh, Japan remains isolationist, uh, we don't have to send our, um, you know, put our servicemen and women in harm's way. We don't have to spend too much on defense. And so as long as we can do it and get away with it, that can be great. But I mean, uh, I would say internationalists in Japan, including Prime Minister Abe, uh, thinks that uh, it's probably not possible for us to uh, maintain peace uh, without Japan's increased contribution. What are the causes of Japan spending so little on defense? 1% of GDP, it's about $50 billion. As you mentioned, it has been rising with you know, the sort of upswing of the economy under Abenomics. But it's still it is low by international standards, by regional standards. What would it take for that figure to rise significantly? I mean, there are at least uh, two reasons behind that. Uh, one is that the fact that Japan is an island country. It's the country is easy to defend, right? It's surrounded by water. And uh, uh, so it's not uh, South Korea. Look at South Korea. You know, Seoul is only 50 kilometers away from the border with North Korea and the massive firepower you know, North Korean uh, artillery, long-range uh, artillery forces and uh, um, multiple rocket launchers are deployed along the border. So they can, they have to spend, South Korea is spending like a 2.6% uh, on defense uh, out of their GDP uh, gross domestic product. Uh, Japan can spend le much less. Uh, an another thing is, uh, as I said, isolationist uh, tradition. You know, we don't want to get involved uh, in dirty, messy wars of the world, right? And uh, so we've been basically relying uh, 
on the U.S. for the you know in terms of uh, the mission and and uh, uh, task of maintaining peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region. So uh, it's because it's uh, becoming difficult. Um, the U.S. is still a major power, but not as a kind of a predominant uh, as it used to be before. Uh, so we are trying to certainly, uh, uh, Mr. Abe is trying to increase the uh, defense budget, but uh, unfortunately there is a limit to what we can do because uh, the Japanese, uh, Japan has a huge uh, cumulative government debt. Um, Japan's, uh, the size of the uh, debt uh, is uh, uh, more than 200% uh, of Japan's GDP. That's actually worse than uh, that of uh, Italy, Ireland, Greece, and Spain. Why can Japan uh, keep uh, financing itself? Because uh, it's finan financing it that by borrowing from Japan Japanese people's own savings, right? But the problem is um, at low interest rates. Though. Low interest rate, yeah. But the Japanese people, you know, Japan is an aging society or aged and even you know aged. Aging society, so uh, now retire people who has retired uh, are try you know kind of starting to tap into that saving those savings, so Japan might not be able to keep financing it itself the debt forever. So we try to um, spend more on defense, but unfortunately there there is a limit to it. What we can do. Let's come back to the United States for a minute. How do you think, how do you assess the performance of the U.S.-Japan alliance? And what are, uh, can you give us a window into Japanese, um, the, per, the Japanese strategist perceptions of the United States? Mm -hmm. Like, I've heard um, some, some Japanese security scholars say that in practical terms, they don't see much difference between Obama and Trump, that both seemed like they were stepping back from the region. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, the Japanese security community. How do, they, yeah. how do they view the U.S.? That's a great point, that uh, there is actually continuity. Outlook is very different uh, between what Mr. Obama was doing and what Mr. Trump is doing. But, uh, you know, even in, you know, Mr. President Obama said that the uh, the U.S. Uh, was no longer a world policeman, so that was a you know in isolationist statement that he made. And uh, Mr. Trump is uh, kind of uh, trying to reduce uh, U.S. commitment as much as possible, defense commitment uh, around the world. And uh, so there is a certainly a, a consistency or similarity at least. And the Japanese uh, uh, defense security policy makers and specialists are very much concerned about uh, possible negative consequences resulting from that kind of attitude. Uh, so in order to prevent that from materializing in a negative way, uh, that, that's partly why uh, Japan is trying to become more proactive uh, in contributing more to convince that uh, it's a good, a good idea for the U.S. Uh, to remain, and uh, it's, it's easier. We are trying to make it easier for the U.S. Uh, 
to maintain peace and uh, stability in uh, Indo Pacific region because Japan is doing more. So that's one thing. And actually, uh, one of the objectives of the TPP, Trans Pacific uh, Partnership Agreement, was to uh, encourage the US to stay in the region because, uh, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, quite contrary to what uh, Mr. Trump thinks, uh, TPP was to benefit the United States greatly, right? And uh, so we are trying to make it more lucrative for the U.S. by through TPP to remain in the region. So that was objective. So it was quite, uh, we are puzzled by the fact that um, uh, the U.S. walked away from it. Certainly we understand why, because uh, um, the U.S. would have uh, gained uh, overall from the TPP, but they would have been winners and losers uh, domestically, you know, in, in the U.S. And uh, uh, potential losers were the supporters of Mr. Trump. I'm sure there are some Japanese farmers who cheered when the U.S. walked away. That is true. <laughs> um, let's talk about Japan's regional diplomacy. I, to me, the most, the most outstanding uh, success of the Abe administration has been his his globe-spanning diplomacy. He's been to, I think, more countries uh, during his prime ministership than any other prime minister. Uh, he's visited places that no prime minister had been before. Uh, he's put a lot of attention, um, uh, a, lot, a big focus on Australia and India and Southeast Asia. What, what do you think is, what is the Japanese diplomatic strategy outside of the U.S.-Japan alliance? Yeah, uh, so that's exactly what uh, Mr. Abe has been trying to do, um, which is to uh, kind of uh, marshal support uh, of his effort, to his, his effort, uh, as much as possible. And uh, so he's been, you know, traveling to Southeast, uh, Southeast Asian countries, Southeastern countries, and uh, we kind of take a look at the... Uh, um, countries in some of the countries uh, in which or around which uh, China's influence is uh, growing. And uh, one of the things that, uh, um, you know, uh, Japanese armed forces has been doing is to uh, send uh, fairly big ships like, uh, um, you know, kind of aircraft carrier almost uh, to the different ports uh, in the Indo-Pacific region, like uh, uh, Trikomali or Hambantota in Sri Lanka and that other places. And uh, we call it uh, uh, these visits a strategic port visit. Why? So Abe is visiting these countries and uh, our ships are visiting uh, these countries. Why? Because uh, uh, by making, uh, you know, having those uh, big ships uh, making port calls, we are trying to send us uh, kind of message uh, to the world, to the, you know, recipient countries as well, to China, that uh, these ports cannot be monopolized uh, by one power and that these ports and the facilities uh, will remain uh, free and open. And uh, so actually, Mr. Abe is um, undertaking <coughs> or uh, making effort to achieve his vision of uh, free and open Indo-Pacific. We call it FOIP, F-O-I-P. 
and uh, in order to achieve that goal or uh, you know kind of um, achieve the vision uh, um, Mr. Abe is uh, making a lot of effort traveling to different countries in the region. The Trump administration, uh, right when tr the Trump administration came into office, uh, Secretary of State, then Secretary of State Rex Tillerson adopted the free and open Indo-Pacific strategy for the United States. Do you know what the, it seems like Abe came up with the idea and we borrowed it is that is that what happened do you know the the background yeah, of that? i think so uh, that's what happened and uh, actually we are very happy about it because uh, it used to be like uh, the u.s come came up with uh, this vision that vision that this strategy that strategy japan was and like now the shoes on the other foot yeah, yeah. and uh, uh and then we are proud of uh, being a u.s partner in doing so but uh, it was uh, we we've you know, felt good uh, when we came up uh, uh, one vision and the U.S. Uh, allies and friends um, adapted it. There so are some differences, though. The Japanese certainly. FOIP is, is, it includes Africa. The American one does not. Definitely. There are some maybe differences of, of uh, emphasis. What, yeah. what do you I see? I would as say, the well, I mean, people tend to think that the U.S. FOIP uh, is more focused on security and military uh, aspect of the uh, situation. And the Japanese uh, FOIP certainly pays attention to security aspect of uh, the situation, but also pays a lot of attention to uh, developmental aspects uh, and uh, so Japan is uh, actually a uh, large uh, donor country in the region and uh, actually the India for example is the largest recipient of a Japanese offshore development aid ODA so uh, I think Japan's one is a little less military oriented than the US one is a little more security military oriented. But, you know, uh, the objective that we have is the same. So, I mean, the US being a, a you know, a superpower, military superpower, certainly emphasize the military aspect. And uh, Japan, you know, is the ninth uh, largest spender on defense in the world. Uh, focuses less on defense and focuses more on development, that's only natural. How does the Japanese foreign policy community view uh, the American trade war with China? Well, um, two things. Uh, so good news is now uh, the U.S. has decided to stand up and uh, say no to whatever uh, the coercive or unfair uh, practices right. that the uh, that China has been engaged in, and uh, which uh, during the Obama administration time uh, was not the U.S. was not really addressing uh, and uh, um, these challenges and facing up to it. So now uh, we're so we're assertive, but maybe too assertive. <laughs> that's a downside, probably. Uh, the U.S. Um, has, you know, China-U.S. relationship um, has really deteriorated a uh, little too rapidly and uh, it was, but I mean, in in a way, it's only, uh, sometimes it's inevitable in, if you are to stand up against something uh, very strong force and you know you are democracy, the U.S. is a democracy. You have to marshal domestic 
political support. And in order to do so, sometimes you overdo the job. But uh, sure, you know, yeah. you I, I understand why uh, this administration is doing uh, taking this approach because I mean, unless you get really tough, and you know, um, it's very difficult to keep on putting enough pressure. T- China, China is very tough, right? I mean, unless you really marshal um, support of the people in your country and uh, um, a sincerely engage in um, dialogue while using pressure, China will not change its mind, right? So it's kind of, uh, you know, good news, bad news. But uh, um, Japan is doing a fairly good job because uh, Mr. Abe uh, visited uh, Beijing in a state visit uh, in October 2018. And the two countries uh, started to mend fences. You know, the, the China-Japan relationship was not really good before that, but uh, now we are on. Uh, you know, a relationship is fairly good, and the uh, Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping is expected to visit uh, Japan in the sp- in spring uh, next year. So we'll see. It's uh, it's described in Japan as an Indian summer. I've heard a sort of maybe a temporary respite from from the normal, maybe not so good Japan-China relations. What do you what do you think about the long term? Well, I mean, it's going to be a, a relationship of um, both uh, cooperation and competition. This will continue. We know that, and uh, um, even. You know, after Abe's visit, I mean, we keep competing. You know, we keep uh, keep exercising together with the U.S. forces. Uh, we keep uh, sending ships to different countries and ports in the region. Uh, we keep uh, building up on our cap- military capabilities, and uh, I think that's actually it's a good news. Um, unless a Chinese, well, there are good people, nice people, and not so nice people in any country. And I, I think there are um, hardliners and, and uh, more moderate forces uh, within uh, inside the Chinese leadership. So if we have enough capabilities and uh, solid uh, alliance and uh, coalition of uh, countries in the region which st- stand up against Chinese coercive actions, Ultimately, we hope that uh, we'll be able to uh, discourage uh, hardliners in China from kind of, uh, uh, you know, saying, well, we can use force to increase, expand our influence in this region. And if they are left to kind of succeed, that would exacerbate, you know, that would uh, strengthen their voice inside the Chinese leadership. That would encourage and embolden uh, hardliners in China, and uh, probably, uh, you know, encourage China to do uh, to take more coercive actions. On the other hand, if we succeed in strengthening ourselves, our capabilities, and you know, um, send Ch- a clear message to the Chinese leaders that even if you try to use force and coercive measures to expand uh, your influence, you will fail. Therefore, it would be much better for you to use a take a more cooperative 
mutually beneficial approach. You will succeed, and uh, China will be regarded as a respect, will become a respected great power, right? So that would be a win-win, uh, both uh, for China and for other countries in the region. So that's, I think, is, is the message uh, that we are sending. So this is about competi competition that we are engaging in order to bring about a more cooperative environment. Japanese security policy, or the slow normalization of Japanese security policy, uh, seems to me like a series of well-thought-out, methodical steps. You know, first you have fighter jets, you know, you, you go on to PKO, you go on ultimately to collective self-defense. What's the next step? Japan has taken many steps uh, during Prime Minister Abe's tenure, and I'm curious, what, what is on the horizon? Well, uh, one thing, uh, well, t there are two things. One is uh, people say, um, talk about a possible amendment of the cons Japanese constitution, which uh, basically says uh, we must not possess, Japan must not possess Army, Navy, Air Force. And uh, uh, Mr. Abe has been saying that that's not really realistic, <laughs> um, and the constitution is out of touch with reality, uh, which in which we have, uh, you know, armed forces. Uh, we don't call them Army, Navy, Air Force. We call them Ground Self Defense Force, Maritime Self Defense Force, and Air Self Defense Force. But you know, right. For they are Army, Navy, Air Force, right? right, right. Let's face it. <laughs> um, so uh, that's one thing. And some people think that if we amend the constitution, Japan will become much more uh, proactive on security. And uh, some people, you know, others even say that Japan will become aggressive uh, on military matters. But uh, I don't think so because, as I said, um, it's more about uh, isolationist sentiment. Uh, you know, uh, isolate uh, very strong isolationist sentiment um, in the mind of a large number of Japanese people, which is preventing Japan from becoming uh, more assertive or more um, proactive on security issues, not the constitution. So even if the constitution changed, is changed, re revised, Japanese security policy will not change too much. So it's going to be more symbolic right. uh, than real. Uh, another thing, uh, possible changes, um, you know, uh, there there is a debate whether or not Japan should introduce uh, uh, strike capabilities. Uh, Japan, you know, with its uh, very, very good uh, uh, equipment and well-trained uh, personnel, uh, do not possess uh, meaningful um, significant strike capabilities. So in the face like of... Like the Tomahawk cruise missile or something right, like that. Right. Uh, but uh, in the face of uh, you know nuclear, nuclear North Korea with uh, more than 200 uh, ballistic missiles uh, targeted at Japan, uh, we and North Korea is actually, and China too, is uh, developing capabilities, uh, basic missiles and other type of missiles, which can uh, kind of maneuver um, mm. and uh, kind of uh, uh, 
um, in order to penetrate a Japanese missile defense systems. So some people think that maybe in the future uh, missile defense capabilities that w we have will become obsolete. So in order to hedge against that kind of possibility, we have to start developing uh, some uh, strike capabilities. And uh, actually, the Japanese government have started to work on uh, the, you know, some of the you know, high-speed high uh, glide um, vehicles and things like that in order to hedge against that kind of uh, situations. There are some uh, domestic critics in the United States on the academic side, in particular, uh, Richard Samuels at MIT and Eric Higginbotham at MIT. They wrote a paper, I think a couple years ago now, arguing that Japan should stop buying big ticket items, like big ships, big expensive air systems, and that Japan should focus on buying denial weapons, should focus on denying China's ability to to make gains rather than meet China ship for ship or airplane for airplane. And they think that this strategy, they call it active denial, is sort of more economical and makes more sense uh, for Japan, uh, given Japan the power imbalance essentially between Japan and China. I'm wondering if, if this idea ha has gotten any attention in Japan itself. Well, I mean, in Japan, I mean, uh, their arguments are not necessarily um, well known. <laughs> okay. So uh, there is not uh, um, debate over that. Uh, but uh, certainly, I mean, their idea is uh, that's one uh, approach option that we have. And uh, it's great that they are, you know, both of them are my friend. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they are, um, you know, giving uh, their thoughts about this issue and, um, you know, coming up with uh, alternative options, and that's great. And so certainly we'll take a look at them. And uh, uh, But the thing is, um, certainly we should, uh, you know, cr create uh, denial capabilities, but our armed forces, especially uh, Japanese armed forces, especially after the enactment of uh, this uh, security legislation uh, in 2015, uh, our armed forces are now uh, capable of assisting the U.S. forces operating um, for the defense of South Korea, for example. So these operations will take a place much far, you know, far away from the Japanese territories. So, you know, denial-only capabilities will not do the job. So um, we have to think about uh, different scenarios, uh, contingencies, and uh, we have to, I mean, it's very hard to predict what will happen in the future. So we have to hedge against different uh, scenarios, contingencies. So it's not easy. Uh, so, but certainly, uh, for in order to uh, think about these issues creatively, flexibly, uh, we have to really keep listening to um, uh, expert voices, uh, including those of uh, uh, Dick and uh, uh, and yeah, Segi both um, Eric. Yeah, Dr. Michishita, we're we're almost out of time, so let me close with um, with one last question. Uh, are you? Are you fundamentally optimistic or pessimistic about the U.S.-Japan relationship, and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm sort of 
well, not necessarily pessimistic, uh, but I'm concerned. Uh, you know, now that uh, Mr. Trump uh, is sort of on his own, uh, used to be there used to be a uh, people like uh, General Mattis, General McMaster, who are around him, uh, giving good advice sometimes uh, kind of uh, discouraging from Mr. Trump, Trump from taking uh, not so wise steps. But now uh, Mr. Trump seems to be on his own, calling shots, uh, sometimes off um, the top of his head uh, without uh, counseling uh, good advice. So that's uh, uh, kind of uh, where I somewhat, well, not necessarily pessimistic, I'm a little concerned about. But at the same time, I'm optimistic about the uh, US-Japan relationship or US-Japan alliance and its future because it's very important to both of us. Without uh, the US-Japan alliance, the United States will not be able to remain a Pacific power. There are tons, very large number of uh, big main operating bases uh, that the US forces use in Japan. Uh, they are uh, large uh, dry docks facilities uh, to maintain and repair US uh, military equipment. And, uh, and at the same time, on the other hand, uh, our alliance, Japan alliance relationship with the US is critical uh, because uh, left to its own devices, Japan will not be able to probably resist uh, China's pressure, uh, cope effectively with uh, North Korean threats. So, you know, Japan might uh, be forced in a worst case scenario um, to decide to bandwagon with China, which can be a nightmare for democracy, liberty um, in Japan and in this region. So I hope that the US-Japan will remain strong and will keep working very closely together. Our guest today has been Dr. Narushige Michishita. Dr. Michishita, thank you. Thank you very much. Asia in Washington is a production of the Edwin O. Reischauer Center for East Asian Studies at Johns Hopkins Sice. Visit our website at reischauercenter.org.